How's everybody doing? Good, good. Hey, you can clap. Come on now. If you're going to do it, you got to do it though. I got, I got some preaching to do here. Hey, you glad you came to church today? Amen. We've had a great day so far and the Lord's not done yet. If we haven't had the privilege of meeting, my name is Chris. I get the honor of serving as a senior pastor at BT Church and the privilege of taking us into God's word today. So if you have a copy of God's Word, digital or physical, why don't you meet me in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 there in the New Testament. As you turn there, let me do a few things. One more time, Nick's already done this, but let's again make some noise for our VIPs, first-time guests in the room and online. So glad to have all of you. If it's your first time with us, we pray you're blessed today. And again, we want to welcome the BT Online family. Glad that you're tuned in from wherever you are watching from. Hey, uh, at BT, we believe in a culture of celebration. And celebration is a discipline. And, and like any discipline, if you don't do it, you get bad at it. And we just don't want to be one of those churches that's grumpy and grouchy and always upset about something. Amen? Amen. Some of you are not convinced of that. <laughs> I hope the Lord changes your heart. Um, so we practice celebrating what God is doing. And so we, we just want to celebrate um, the way God moves and the, the way that lives are changed uh, through our church. And so listen to this. So far this year, 257 people have said yes to Jesus, trusting them with their hearts as personal Lord and Savior. Two people did that in the last service here in McAllen. And so we celebrate that. 155 people have taken that next step of obedience called baptism. And we celebrate 155 people uh, saying, I have decided to follow Jesus. And so we celebrate that as believers baptism here. Let's make some noise for those. Uh, we call it believer's baptism, by the way, because what we believe the scripture teaches is that baptism, whether you're a child, an adult, a teenager, uh, whether you're, you're dipped, dunked, sprinkled, anything in between, none of that can make you right with God. That is a display that you've been made right with God. So we believe that after saying yes to Jesus and salvation, the next step uh, is to be baptized as a public declaration of your faith in Christ. And so we celebrate those people that said yes to Jesus, most importantly, and then they said yes uh, to that public declaration. So we pray God will continue to do a great work in our church and in South Texas and across the world, uh, calling men and women and children to himself uh, for the glory of God. So all that to say, uh, we're in the second week of a series called Operation today. And uh, the premise of the series is as believers, sometimes our, our spiritual lives, our spiritual bodies, if you will, uh, we need a tune-up or a check-up. Sometimes we need an operation uh, to make sure we are staying spiritually healthy so that we can follow Jesus more closely and experience his blessings more fully. And we kicked it off last week. If you missed last week, you can catch the sermon uh, online. Go to YouTube, search BT Church, and you can see it there, or go to Facebook or download our app and you can catch up. But last week we opened by talking about what is arguably the most critical part of the spiritual body and that is the heart. And we looked at Proverbs chapter four and we talked about the fact that we are told to above all else, right? Lots of other things that are really important, but above all else, guard your heart because it is the source or some versions say the wellspring of life. When we fail to guard our heart, then our lives get off course. Well, today I want to talk about what is arguably the second most critical part of the spiritual body. I don't know that next week will necessarily be the third most, but so far we're one and two, so we're going to stick with it. So the, the second most critical part of the spiritual body is the mind. And so I want to talk about how we set our minds on things above. That's this phrase we read in the Bible. How do we, how do we take every thought Captive, And the reason why the heart and the mind are so critical is because they're, they're connected in many ways. I, I, I want to I issue a few fancy words. You ready for some fancy words? 
all four of you, let's stay t- tuned in. Everyone else, we're going to pray for you. Um, you want to hear some fancy words? Yeah. Okay. They, these really aren't that fancy, but hey, if we don't throw them out every once in a while, you can only say these at church because anywhere else you just go blank stares. You get some of them at church also, but anyways. Um, so here, here's a word. It's kind of fancy, right? The word is orthodoxy. Everybody say orthodoxy. Orthodoxy, all it means is theological belief. That's all it means. It means theological belief. And by the way, you may think, well, theological sounds fancy. Don't be scared of the word theology. Literally all the word means is words about God. Everyone has words about God. We need to have the right words about God. Amen? And so getting our heart right, guarding our heart above all else, is an act of orthodoxy. We're getting our beliefs set right, in our hearts so that we can guard the source of life. Orthodoxy is very important, theological beliefs. The mind comes in and supports the heart through what we call orthopraxy. Everybody say orthopraxy. You are just theological students today. Orthopraxy is theological practice, right? If you've got theological beliefs, you should have some theological practice that supports it. In fact, many times the challenge today, I say this all the time, the church, we don't need to be up in arms when people who don't know God act like they don't know God. They're doing what they are supposed to do. When people who know Jesus act like they don't know Jesus, we got problems because their practice is not matching their so-called beliefs. And usually something has gotten disconnected between the 18 inches of the head and the heart. So last week, we set our our hearts right, guard our hearts above all else, right? It's the source of life. So how do we then put that into practice? We take every thought captive, right? We renew our minds. We set our minds on things above. And so that's what we're going to look at today, Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at the first two verses, pretty well known. This is what it says, Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So as we look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1, we, we see that the first word is the word therefore, and you know the drill. Anytime you see the word therefore, you ask, what's it? Therefore, right? And, and so here's the deal. The word therefore in Romans 12, 1 is there because it's actually connecting everything Paul has said in the first 11 chapters. Remember, the Bible wasn't written with chapter and verse. That was added much later. It's very helpful for you and I. But Romans was actually a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Rome, and no one writes a letter with chapter and verse. That's just weird, right? And so he had been writing this letter, and then he gets to the end of what we know as chapter 11, and he shifts gears, therefore, do this. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach the bulk of my message from Romans 12, 1 and 2, but I feel like just for foundational purpose, I need to preach the first 11 chapters also, so get comfortable. We'll be here till 8 p.m. And it'll, no, I'm kidding. I'm not going to do that. I could be here till 8 p.m. preaching two verses. You know that anyway. So here we go. Um, this is what the first 11 chapters of Romans tells us. It really, the first 11 chapters in a nutshell deal with two things. We got a problem. God's got a solution. The wages of sin is death. 
right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I don't do the things I want to do. I do the things I don't want to do. We've got a problem. There's a solution, right? That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrated his own love for us. So while we're still sinners, Christ died for us so that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death so that anyone who believes in their heart and confesses with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, they will be saved. Romans 3, Romans 6, Romans 5, Romans 8, Romans 10, right? Problem, we got sin. Solution, Jesus. So as Paul brings all of that to a close, he says, therefore, in view of the mercy of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. You know, when we think of commands or commandments in the scripture, we think of the big 10. There's there's actually more. In fact, from Romans 12 to the end of the book, there's, there's over 20 commands that Paul gives right here. What are commands? They're they're acts of practice, right? They're they're, they're steps of practice. And so I want to talk about how do we practice setting our mind on things above. And so today I want to give you four things that are connected to how we set our minds on things above. Here's the first thing I'd like you to write down. It's personal presentation. We can't begin the practice of renewing our minds. We can't, we can't begin the practice. I feel like Alan Iverson talking about practice. All right, let's Google it. Anyways, and, and so, so we can't begin to practice, right, the renewing of our minds. We can't begin to practice what our heart believes until we have presented ourselves to God through his son, Jesus. Paul says, in view of God's mercy, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. We will never surrender, which I'm gonna talk about next. We will never live a life of surrender until we have presented ourselves to Christ. In Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six, pretty well known, it says, trust in the Lord with all your what? Right? Get your beliefs right. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely or lean on your what? understanding in all your ways know him and he will make your paths straight so we get our hearts right in belief so that we don't rely on our minds on their own hearts get right thoughts get right we present ourselves to God through Christ Jesus we draw near to him James 4 8 and he will draw near to you that the first practice In setting our minds on things above, it's presenting ourselves to the Lord. It is drawing near to him. And the second one is this, sacrificial surrender. Because we have presented ourselves to Christ, we must now live lives of sacrificial surrender. Again, the text would go on to say, right, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. You know, people today struggle, people in the church struggle to surrender to the Lord because they have not yet presented themselves to the Lord. That's the point I just made. But once we have presented ourselves to Christ, then we live lives of surrender. Listen, there are people in churches today And they have not yet said yes to Jesus for salvation. And they are desperately trying to still live a life of surrender. 
it's extremely difficult. You get exhausted or, or you, get, you get jaded. How do I know? Because that's my story, right? At, at seven years old in a little Baptist church in Alice, Texas, we had an evangelist in town and he was, you know, he was preaching the lights out one night and I'm playing with my Hot Wheels. That's what a good kid does in church. Just kidding, kids. Don't play with Hot Wheels. And, and so I'm playing with my Hot Wheels, but I, I listened enough to hear the evangelists speak of this place called hell, that there's a fire that never goes out and there's worms that never die. And at seven years old, I'm like, what kind of place has fire that doesn't go out and worms that don't die in the fire? Like that, what kind of worm is that? I, not going there. So when it came time for what we call an invitation, you couldn't have stopped me from exiting my aisle and running to the front of the church. And the evangelist says, hey, son, how can I pray for you? And I said, I don't want to go to hell. <laughs> and he led me in a prayer. By the way, nothing wrong with that. We'll do that at the end of this service. Nothing wrong with that. And hear me, seven-year-olds can have a genuine response to Jesus, okay? At seven, I did not. Don't miss this. What I, what I was doing was avoiding a destination. That's not salvation. Salvation is, is receiving a person. It's surrendering my life to the kingship of Jesus. As a result, praise God, I avoid the destination of hell. But salvation is not heaven, it's Jesus. Heaven is this amazing promise of such salvation. And so I surrender, right? We, we sacrificially surrender ourselves after we have presented ourselves to God, by God's grace, he kept pursuing me. March 4th of 1998, I realized not simply that I needed to not go to hell, which I needed to not do, but that I needed a savior. That I was not actually equipped to be the savior of my life. And I said yes to Jesus. After that, then we begin to live lives of surrender. You know, sometimes what happens in the church is, is we, want, we, we want to do what God wants, we just want him to give us the options, right? We, we don't want to fill in the blank test. We don't want to make it up and pull it out of thin air. Just, God, let it be multiple choice, right? Uh, you know, we, 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 God, I, I'm, I'm really concerned about who I'm going to marry, A, B, C, or D. Like, you, you, fill, you give me the options. I'll pick. God, I'm, I'm concerned about what my career path will be. Where do I invest? When do I retire? What church do I go to? Do I have kids? How many? And, and we, we want God to give us some options. But hear me, beloved, asking God for options isn't surrender. It's control. I still want to set the agenda. I just want you in it, God. I'm smart enough to know that to do it without you is a bad idea. So let me keep the reins. Just give me some options of how I can do so and you be more or less pleased with it. That is not presenting our bodies as living sacrifices. That is not living a life of surrender. You know, the text, as we read it, it says that, that, that we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, and this is your true worship. Some versions say spiritual act of worship. There's nothing wrong with that. Hear me, there's nothing wrong with that. But, but I really like what some versions say where they say this is your reasonable act of worship. There are, there are some versions, that some translations, and, and instead of saying true or spiritual worship, they say reasonable. Now, that doesn't sound very spiritual, so like, it makes sense. Get rid of the word reasonable and put spiritual in there. But the reason why I like that is because the actual word Paul used is the, where we get the English word logic. Logikos. He says, this is your logical response. Now, this, this is where I'm going. 
Beloved, if you have experienced the mercy of God, as Paul is saying, in view of God's mercy, if you have experienced the mercy of God after presenting yourself to him for salvation, if you have experienced that, if you have experienced the unending grace and mercy of a God who is so set apart, he should, by by logic, have nothing to do with fallen people. But he seeks us, and he pursues us, and he saves us. And if that has happened to you, beloved, the only logical response is surrender. We're allowing the church, what we're allowing to happen is that in society, surrender is this bad idea. Don't give up your rights. You got you to look out for number one. You just need to pursue what makes you happy. And, and so people view God as this, this big meanie up in the sky, and he's against everything good. And eventually, if we don't guard our hearts and our minds, we don't set our minds on things above, that logic gets into the church, and then we start thinking that surrender is this bad concept when it is the only logical response to a holy God who would dispense mercy upon fallen people. It is completely reasonable to surrender all of me to all of him. But we, we, we let it get twisted. Surrender is, surrender is not limiting life. It is the key to life to the fullest. Surrender doesn't limit what we can experience and enjoy. It unlocks the freedoms that God sent his son Jesus to die so that we would know in their fullness. In light of all that God has done, it is logical that I would live a sacrificially, fully surrendered life to him. That is, that, that's how I will practice setting my mind on things above. And before I move on, I do want to notice that it's interesting, I think, that Paul says, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present, he, he could have said yourselves, but he says, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. I want to talk about that for a minute because in American culture, the human body is big business, right? I mean, let's be honest, like, there are billions of dollars spent by people every year to shape, sculpt, tan, surgically enhance or repair to, to clothes. By the way, I'm glad everyone's wearing clothes today, just for the record. Um, to feed, to medicate. We spend billions of dollars on all of these things to, to try to make everything look just the way that it should look. And just for the record, God isn't saying through the Apostle Paul, present your bodies to me so I can be impressed, right? God's not saying, whoa, man, like I gave you some, some Play-Doh, but you've done a number. I mean, you, considering what I gave you to work with, you did a good job, right? <laughs> I'm going to let that one get to the back of the room. That. We don't do all of this. And hear me, it's, it's, I'm not saying that it's necessarily wrong. It can be, it can be, depending on the motive. It's not necessarily wrong to take care of your body. In fact, the Bible talks about that, 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 that our body is a temple and all these things. But when it's our driving focus to try to get the body to be presentable in its looks alone, we are missing what the body is actually given to us for. You know why the body has been given to us? It is the means by which God intends to deliver his grace to people who are far from him. That's why we present our bodies to him. Check it out. Our bodies, our physical bodies, they are not the way that people get, we don't save anyone, right? But the, the physical body is the means through which God delivers the message of grace, right? We, we actually tell people, y'all, some of y'all know that this is kind of like a soapbox for me, but you know, Christians love to quote St. Francis who 
didn't say this, but that's a whole nother reality. Preach the gospel at all times. Use, who knows, words when necessary. Feed the poor at all times. Use food when necessary. You, you can't preach the gospel without words. It doesn't mean we don't live a life that points to Jesus. Of course we do. But if you live your life one way and your words don't match, something's up. And Romans 10 is clear. How will they believe if they have not heard? And how will they hear if we do not preach? Our bodies are to be presented to him in surrender because by God's sovereign design, he uses broken vessels called people to deliver the message of a perfect grace. And it only happens when we surrender our lives to him, our agendas to him. We were not given bodies to look right. We were given bodies to act right. We were not given bodies to model fashion. We were given bodies to model grace. And that happens through sacrificial surrender that in view of God's mercy, I will present myself to the Lord. And in that presentation, I will let myself be a living sacrifice. Preachers have said for decades, the problems with living sacrifices is they tend to crawl off the altars. Think about it. You sacrifice an animal, it's dead. It ain't going anywhere. The whole premise of a living sacrifice is that it's a daily reality. Yes to myself, no to myself, and yes to him. Sacrificial surrender. Let me just say this also, just to be clear, that, that there is no worship where there is no surrender. There, there is no worship where there is no surrender. Surrender is being lost today, again, because it's kind of become this taboo word. But listen, beloved, we can show up on Sunday morning and we can sing our favorite songs and we can raise our hands high and we can get emotional and we can say amen in the sermon and we can laugh at the amazing jokes the pastor tells because they're amazing. And <laughs> that wasn't a joke, but, and, and so we, we can do, and, th and that's not wrong. But listen, if we are here and we are hands raised, voices loud, amen, praises, and then we leave here for six days and there's no surrender, this wasn't worship. There is no worship where there is no surrender because without surrender, we're just looking for a fix. Just wanna feel better about myself as I go out and do what I wanna do. We've got to understand that as we present our bodies to him, as we pay attention to our body. Listen, you don't pay attention to your body, you endanger your soul. The, the, the body, listen to me, the body is the beachhead of temptation, right? What, what do I mean by that? You know, think, think about military conflicts. Never served in the military, out of my depth already. But the beachhead, I think of Normandy, right? The beachhead is where the conflict surges. But the war room is where you get ready for what's gonna happen on the beach, Right? And so the mind is the war room where we are getting ready for our bodies that will engage or not in sinful activities. And the way that we prepare in the war room is say, I will be a surrendered individual. All of me, all of him. Sacrificial surrender. Third point, total transformation. Total transformation. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, or I like what the NIV says, to the pattern of this world. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed.
transformed. You got to be more than meets the eye, guys. Wow, come on. Transformers, I slipped that one in too quick, huh? A little jab. More than meets the eye. Total transformation. Paul says, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed. What's interesting is the word conform that Paul uses. It, it, it literally means don't be stamped by the pattern of the world. Don't be stamped by the pattern of the world because you should already have your life stamped by Jesus. You know, the stamp of the world, right? It, it wants to get things and use people. Get things and use people. Be you, be true to you, to thine own self be true. But the problem is that has no space in transformation. You know, what's, what's happening in many churches in our society today is that we are conforming to the patterns of the world. Sometimes in church, we are conforming to the patterns of this world because we are adopting cultural norms that are antithetical to scripture. Because this seems right in society, it's gotta be right. And so we begin to adopt things that are counter to the scripture and we are conforming to the pattern of this world. Sometimes, sometimes the church conforms because everything becomes a political platform. Hear me, when Paul says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, he's talking about all patterns. He is saying be transformed so that you are clearly marked as a citizen of, kingdom, of the kingdom. That doesn't mean, by the way, that we pull away and retreat from culture. It doesn't mean that we don't engage politically according to the word of God. What it means is that we are in the world, but not of it. You can be of the world by adopting culture. You can be of the world by platforming politics above the kingdom. You can be of the world by, by going after the things the world says you should go after, or you can be in the world by taking the gospel of Jesus to culture and politics and desires and drive and ambition. And just like that, suddenly you're not a conformed, you're not a conformed person, but you're a transformed individual. Because why? Because you've been surrendering yourself to him because you presented yourself to him. So now you set your mind on things above as you guard your heart above all else because it is the source of life, total transformation. And then number four, last point, radical renewal. Radical renewal. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind so you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Do not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. All of this, by the way, all of this is the equation for how we set our mind on things above. We present ourselves to the Lord. We live in surrender. We experience transformation, and then we continually renew our minds. By the way, notice Paul didn't say, and be transformed with a renewed mind. He didn't, say, he, didn't, he didn't even say, be transformed in the renewal completed of your mind. He says, be transformed by the continued renewing of your mind, meaning that there's a process every day. I've got to say yes to Jesus, no to myself, more of him, less of me. There's a continual surrender and transformation that leads in a daily continual renewing of my mind. This is what I said last week. Renewing of the mind is when we start treating God like our operating system and not like an app, right? I said that last week. 
We love apps. Open the God app. Get a little God in my life. Close the God app. Open the business app. Close the business app. Open the family app. Close the family app. Open the social app. No, no. The problem is when we do that, we are the operating system of our own lives, and Jesus should be the operating system. Jesus is the one who drives what we do each and every day. That is the continual daily renewing of our minds. And the beauty is this, is that when... when when we don't get stuck in our ways, the method for not getting stuck in our ways is, is continually being renewed by his. Stuck in what we think is right. Stuck in what we think we deserve. Stuck in what, how we think it should go. Stuck in what, what God should do in this situation. We, we avoid getting stuck when we continually pursue the renewal of our minds. And, and what's the result, by the way? What's the, result, what's the result of presenting ourselves to him and living a life of surrender and being transformed and having our mind? What's the result? Well, it's what, what Paul says right here in, in verse 2. We're then able to discern what his will is. You know, the scripture is clear that God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not, they're, they're above our thoughts, right? I think sometimes in the church, though, we get it twisted and we, we switch the W words. You know, God works in mysterious ways, so therefore we think that God's will is mysterious. Nowhere in Scripture does it say God's will is mysterious. What, what, what loving father makes his plans and purposes for his child a mystery? How he works beyond me, but, but what he wants for me is been made clear that I would know him fully and make him known, that I would come to love him more as he has loved me. The problem is many times we go to God with all these things that we need him to do, and what we really want is God to dispense some magic dust over our lives so the marriage gets better, which he wants, so our finances are in order, which he wants, so that we can walk in healing, which he wants. All these things, but we've got to start off, we've got to start off by simply knowing that God's will is that I would just know him more. But what did Jesus say in the longest recorded teaching called the Sermon on the Mount? He said, seek first, what? What God wants for you in marriage. Seek first where God wants you to work. Seek first where he wants you to go to church. Seek first how many kids he wants you to have. Seek first where you should go to college. Seek first how you should invest. Seek first when you should retire. All those things are not bad things but they're grossly out of order if they're first things. Seek first the kingdom of God, and then what? All these things will be added unto you. What are all those things, Chris? All of them. Fancy theological word, all, right? All these things. Now listen, sometimes TV preachers twist that, right? Well, if you seek first the kingdom of God, all these things will be added unto you. You'll get the bigger house and the nicer car. Just make sure you send me X number of dollars so I can get my next jet, blah, 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 blah. The reason and the purpose of seeking first the kingdom in my renewed mind is so that as I seek him first and I'm praying for all these things, which the Bible says to pray for, let your requests be made known through prayer and supplication, right? As I do that... As he responds, if he responds and answers in ways that I wasn't praying for because I'm seeking first his kingdom, my heart knows he's still good. When I pray for healing of the loved one and God takes him home, I know he's still good. When I, when I pray for 
this situation and he, it turns out to be this other situation. I know that he's still good because I'm not seeking that first. I'm seeking him first. Seek first the kingdom of God. And then these things will be added unto you. And, 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 and that's discerning the will of God by wanting him first. Discerning his good, pleasing, and perfect will that I would know him more. And by knowing him, I would know life to the fullest. John chapter 10, verse 10. So that as I live, God is not, he, 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 hear me, he, he's not ignorant to the details of our lives. He wants us to call out to him. It's not that he doesn't care and is uninvolved, but as I seek him first, I discern his will that he wants me to know him more and more and more. And as I know him more, I start seeing him more in how he works and all those things. And why? 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 Why should we do this, Chris, right? Why should I present myself to God and why should I live a life of surrender? That sounds very limiting. I mean, why, why, why should I seek transformation? I feel you know, pretty good about where I'm at. Why, 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 why should I have my mind renewed? I kind of like the way I think. Why should I pursue this? Well, that's the beginning of chapter 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, why? In view of God's mercy. It's what I open with. Because God is merciful, because God is merciful, I should want to give him everything I have. I should want my mind to be set on things above so that my practice reflects what is most valuable to me, and that is Jesus above all else. So, so how do we put that in, into action, right? What, what are the next steps? Let me give you this. Here's your next step. Ask. A-S-K. Ask. A, Abide. You want to know how to start practicing the renewal of your mind? Understanding the importance of abiding in Christ, right? Jesus would say, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If anyone remains in me and I in him, you can do great things, but apart from me, you can do nothing. And so we, because our hearts last week are guarded, we get our, our, our beliefs right. We want our practices to follow, so we set our mind on things above. We don't get conformed, but transformed. We present our bodies to him, and that's all connected to abiding in Christ, having time dedicated to get into the word of God, to know him more, having time dedicated to powerful prayer, not just a wish list of what we need God to do, but just declaring his praises in prayer, right? adoration in prayer. God, you are, you are above all things, thanking God for all the things he's already done for us. We abide in Christ in our spiritual disciplines. We abide in Christ when we join the saints in corporate worship. We abide in Christ when outside of this space we choose community. We get in a small group and community group and we, we say, I want to be connected to the body. It's necessary for me. We, we abide in Christ. When we understand that he's not 90 minutes on a Sunday, he is life to the fullest in and of himself. We abide. Second, we serve. We serve. You know, I've, I've never met someone who said they were a believer that wasn't serving the kingdom of God or the church that was someone I would say was mature in their faith and living a victorious life. Just I'm not saying it can't be done. Just, my 43 years, I haven't, seen, I haven't seen someone who's continually living a life with no service to the kingdom and they are both mature in their faith and living in victory. I just haven't seen it. He pours into us to pour through us. 
And so my challenge is maybe you want to set your mind on things above. How are you serving the kingdom? Notice I didn't say the church. Hear me. I believe serving the church is critical to serving the kingdom. I I just believe that with all my heart. Serving kids as a greeter, info center, students, young adults, worship. I mean, I go on and on on all the places. I I believe it with all my heart. but, But sometimes if we're not careful, we think that's the only part of serving the kingdom. And we check the box. I greeted today. I taught a class today. And then for six days, we just kind of wait for the next opportunity. But serving the kingdom, while it is very much serving the church, it's, it's when we go home and we notice that for three weeks our neighbor hadn't mowed his yard and he does it every Friday. Maybe something's up. We go check on him or we just mow the yard, right? We, we look for opportunities to be the hands and feet of Jesus in our community. We serve. We pour ourselves out. You'll be renewing your mind, I promise. And let me just say this. There's a growing trend that concerns me today in the church. I hear this all the time. People say, well, you know what? I'm, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. Religion, like it's just, that, that word's just a mixed bag, all right? Because religion doesn't lead you to Jesus, relationship does. But because you got a relationship with Jesus, religion is just a practice. So, so if you have a relationship, you should have some religion. And, and this is what's happening. Let, let me just kind of preach for a second here. This is what's happening. People are like, oh, no, I'm not religious. I'm, I'm spiritual. And most of the people who say that, you know what else they're not? They're not a part of a church. They don't belong to the family of God. They, but they, they oh, you, 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 oh, you're getting all legalistic on me again. I'm, I'm, I'm just I'm just spiritual funny thing, spiritual people do spiritual things. Like prioritizing the family of God and worship. Like prioritizing communing with the saints. Like prioritizing serving the way Jesus poured himself out as a drink offering for many, right? We prioritize these things. Most of the time when people tell me they're not religious, they're spiritual, they are selfish, self-centered. lazy and they are very much to thine own self being true and the problem with that is they are not understanding that if anyone is in Christ is a new creation the old has gone the new has come and we have been called to take up the ministry of reconciliation and you can't reconcile anyone on the sidelines you want to practice a renewed mind you serve ASK, and then you keep his commands. You keep his commands. When cultural norms go against the scripture, you stand on the word of God as authority. You keep his commands. You say, Lord, I don't know how it's going to work out, but but you've called me to be generous, so I'm going to trust you with my tithe keep his commands. You, listen to me. Some, there's someone today. I know, I know it. You've given your life to Jesus. You've, you've gotten newness of life. You are secure in salvation, but for some reason you have not been obedient in baptism. Baptism doesn't make you saved, but it tells people you are. Maybe today that's your decision. You, you know you're right with God, but you want to go public. Listen to me. Listen, we, we, we've got shorts and t-shirts and towels and warm water and Nick is ready to baptize. We don't have anybody signed up that doesn't mean we're not ready for you. 
You can come forward just a few moments if you're in this room and, and we will get you back. If you're watching online, text us 97,097000. Type BT Baptism. We will respond to you and we will figure out wherever you are how to celebrate a baptism. Keep his commands because you value him above all else. You want what he wants in your life. Listen to me. He is king of all or not at all. But ultimately, hear me, ultimately, all of that is predicated, dependent upon a relationship through Jesus. If you have not said yes to Jesus, you can take up lots of religious activity and it will be a weight that will pull you down. But with Jesus, religious activity is a freedom to be who you are in Christ. And so maybe for someone in this room or online, the reality for you is your next step is actually the first step of saying yes to Christ. I'm not talking about your religious activity anymore. I'm not talking about your church attendance or your family background. I'm not talking about if you were baptized. I'm asking you, do you know that you have said yes to Jesus for salvation? That you have received this amazing gift that, it, that is free, and sometimes we get it twisted. Free doesn't mean it's cheap. <laughs> it was the blood and body of Jesus broken on the cross. And we believe that because man could not get back to God, I cannot close the gap that sin created. I cannot do anything to fix that. It can't be good enough, do enough. And so I need Jesus to receive me as I believe in my heart and confess my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and God raised him from the dead. And then in relationship, in relationship, I seek him each day. Today, if you're in this room or you're watching online and you don't know what you've done with Jesus, you don't know if you've said yes, I want to give you an opportunity to say yes right here and right now. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. Today, if your decision is to say yes to Jesus and receive that gift of salvation, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you to say a prayer with me now. Now, listen very carefully. This prayer is not a magic formula. Mindlessly reciting words the pastor says accomplishes nothing. There's no right order, some incantation you can say to usher Jesus in. It's the prayer, hear me, it's not a magic formula. What it is, it's Romans 10, 9. It's a confession of the mouth, which you believe in the heart. And so if that's you today in this room or online, either way, if you have not said yes to Jesus and today you want to say yes to receive him and to walk in newness of life, then I invite you to say this prayer with me right where you are. Just say this, dear God, I know that I'm a sinner I know that I'm far from you. I know that I need you. And I believe you made a way for me to be made whole. I believe you sent your son Jesus to come to earth as God in the flesh. And I believe he lived without sin. And I believe that Jesus died on the cross and paid for sin. I believe by the power of the Holy Spirit, he rose again three days later. And so today, Jesus, I am trusting you with my life. And I'm asking you to be my savior. Will you help me live for you every day of my life? And thank you for loving me first. It's in your name that I pray. Amen.